In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, grace and peace from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As a minister of the gospel, it is a privilege to have close encounters with God's people at lots of different major points of their lives, like when their babies are born or they're getting married, and also when they're about to be taken from this life by the Lord and his angels to heaven. In those close encounters, people get very real. When they know that their passing is inevitable, that's when we as people, we see what's really there because we know there's no more need for any kind of charade. When you, at Good Friday, come to the cross of Jesus, you see three men who know that their death is inevitable. And you see raw, real life and death. And tonight, that's what we're going to do, just like other Good Fridays. But we're going to go to that place in Luke chapter 23, where the, the thieves on the cross interact with Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus and them be very real. And hopefully it will help us, who are, as of late, in this year, when we're having this COVID virus run around, getting more and more people are getting more and more real as they think about the inevitable someday, right? The Lord will take them from this life. And they think more about it. I'm thinking more about it. You're thinking more about it. And we should be thinking about what it all means at the foot of the cross with Jesus, our Savior, on Good Friday. So let's go there. Let's learn from these men. And let's learn especially from one of the thieves and from Jesus. Luke chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out of Jerusalem with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified them there. You can almost hear the pounding of the hammers on the nails. They crucified them there. Along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left, Jesus hung there. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. On the surface, these two men are in the same predicament, but they're very different people now. Maybe they started out very much alike, but now they're very different people. And they show us on either side of Jesus, up in the air, a contrast about people facing the end of their life, facing all of their life, but especially the end. This thief that rebukes his other thief, he is thinking through what his life really is. The other man is still on the surface of things. He is still thinking about the predicament and how he got caught. He's thinking of others who didn't. And he's thinking about, he's about Jesus, the man in the middle that's being mocked by the people standing below. And he joins in on the mocking through his anger and his bitterness of being caught in this inevitable predicament of death. He's not thinking about the bigger picture of why he's hanging there. But the, the, the other thief on the other side of Jesus, he is. He knows himself. He knows that the reason 
government is putting him to death in capital punishment is because of crimes that he knowingly committed against society. But he also knows that God is behind all of life on earth and that he's about to face Almighty God. He knows himself. You know, we look at him and we say, well, Stinker, we're glad that you finally got it. At least now you know and you understand. You're enlightened. If we do think a little bit like that, like we're different than him, we're actually more like the other thief because God wants us to look at this cross and this close encounter and be taught something. He wants us to be taught that that is our same predicament. It may not be a government that puts us to death, but it's the Lord, the King of the universe, that's going to put our human body to death. In Psalm 104, it says he gives life and breath and he takes it away. But more importantly, think of what God said when he walked into the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned. Dust you are and to dust you will return. Romans chapter 5. In Adam, all die because all have sinned. It's the curse of God on our bodies that we're going to have to face death. If he does not return first, this body will die and decay. That's the stark message. That's why people, so many people who are not dealing with life like that other thief, they avoid being around loved ones who are dying or they avoid the funeral because they don't want to deal with the inevitable. But it is the inevitable. It is wisdom, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7, to be in the house of sorrow and mourning over death because that's the, that is the lot of every person. And Good Friday, with Jesus dying and these men dying, puts it right up in your face. When it's truly made the way it really looked, it's a rated R movie, as that, that movie, the, the, the Passion of Christ, proves. It's death, it's ugly, but it's ours. And it's ours because... We did this to ourselves. When that man hung on the cross and he said, we are getting what our deeds deserve. Every honest Christian can say that. And if we, in the hours, minutes before our death, think we're not, then we're like the other thief. We're getting what our deeds deserve. It's important to know our predicament as well. Our predicament is that After we die, we face the almighty, everlasting, holy God. Hebrews in the New Testament says it's appointed for us to die once and then comes the judgment. Everyone knows by natural knowledge that there is a God. Deep down, everyone does. Everyone knows that if there is a God and there is one, that he is deep down, they know he is holy and that we are accountable to him. It is innate in our mind and our conscience that we are to be good and it is knowledgeable to each one of us that based on any ethical list of do's and don'ts, we have broken them. And if we're really honest, even if we've done it in very sociably acceptable ways, we know that we've broken a lot of commandments. And we know that the, the, the moment that we are before our holy God who created us to be good, that we're going to be in a predicament. And so did this good thief, this thief that understood himself. So he says to his friend, Don't you fear God? 
You're under the same predicament as this man. And you're still cursing and swearing and telling him off. Don't you fear God? We're getting what our deeds deserve. You're about to face the judge of the universe. Close encounters with someone that's dying, that lives according to the truth of the natural knowledge and the knowledge of God. You see, you see honest respect and fear of the Lord of Lords. Now, if this is all there was, we'd be left in despair. But it certainly isn't all that there is. And that thief that was dying, that was understanding, knew that it wasn't all that there was because God had taught him through this man hanging next to him, through the Holy Spirit, through whatever word of God that he had heard, he had taught him that the man dying next to him was the king of the universe. So he says to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not, Lord, remember that I tried really hard and I'm better off now that I was put in jail for a few months before this sentence was brought on me. Remember that I'm thinking and feeling and trying and my apology is real. He just says, remember me. Lord, you are the king of the universe. He had said about Jesus to the other thief, this man has done nothing wrong. He knew Jesus was innocent. He compared his life to Jesus and found himself wanting, but when he compared himself to Jesus, he saw Jesus not being good as an example, but being good as a Savior. He realized that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and he knew that was his only hope, was that Jesus was dying just like him, feeling everything that he felt, including the fear and the guilt. And you just take a step back from the cross for a minute. You go back in Jesus' life. And in chapter 12, just a couple of weeks before he died, chapter 12 of, of John's gospel, Jesus says, I am so troubled I could die from the stress. He says that to his disciples. And Jesus in Gethsemane is sweating great drops of blood in his sweat because he's so stressed out that the capillaries in his sweat glands are bursting. And he's saying, if there's any other way, Lord, let it be. Let it be, but nevertheless, I'll do your will, whatever it is. He was stressed. He's feeling the weight of the world when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the weight of the sins of the world. It's the guilt. He's feeling the guilt that this other thief is feeling, but a million billion times more. But this man knows he's going through fear and guilt and death. Not because he has to. He's done nothing wrong. He's doing it for us. So Lord, remember me. when you come into your kingdom. It's my only hope. And since Jesus is hanging right there. This thief is hanging on at Jesus every word. I need a word from you. I wonder how long he had to wait for Jesus to get a breath standing up on the spike in his ankles. 
Surely I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's real. You're going to die. But you're going to live. Jesus had said in his three-year ministry, I'm going to die and and then I'm going to live again. And because I live, you are going to live. He says to this man, your soul is going to live beyond this death, but you're going to bodily, you're going to die. You will be with me, the king of the universe in paradise because you believe in me. We know ourselves, we know our predicament, and we know Jesus. And when we draw near to these three men, that's when we learn peace. Here's two men dying. One is, over here is a total wreck, and he has no peace. One is a total wreck because he is winning peace, and one is at peace now. Although he's in terrible pain, because he is trusting in the one who's winning for him the peace. The only way to know peace on Good Friday, or the Good Friday when you and I face death, the inevitable, is to know Jesus. That's the way to know peace. It happened in my family, my wife's father. Um, he grew up in, a, in New York in a family of four boys and, and a sister. And then uh, there was a, a, his mother died in an accident and his father for a while had his family in an orphanage. And then about 13, he, my father-in-law sort of sprung himself from the family. The orphanage was a Catholic orphanage, so he had some things from the Bible taught to him as a young boy, but didn't remember a lot. He, he was a good man. He raised five children one of them was not his biological child, but he raised him just like his own. He was, he was that generous and loving and caring and giving, and he worked hard. But he really didn't want much to do with the church. He probably didn't understand it all either and why people would want to be a part of the community of faith so religiously. But we, when I came into this family's life by falling in love with his youngest child, his daughter, it was quite a shock. Imagine kind of keeping church at arm's length and then your daughter falls in love with a, a, not only a church boy, but a kid that wants to study to be a pastor. It was tough on all of us socially. And they would come to visit and love us and our family, but they'd leave on Sunday morning. They'd go back home because they, they, they weren't wanting to be drawn into that, that vortex. But then in his 80s, he got cancer. And Because of many late-night conversations, I worried for his soul. But as I went to visit, and he was at our, our, uh, my brother-in-law's house, being deeply loved by his family and taken care of, I had three very memorable close encounter conversations with him. The second one, in the second one, he he said, "You know, sitting back on the back patio and suffering with cancer, you get to look over your life and." Rethink all the decisions that you made. And he goes, you, 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 you kind of sort through all of them. And he goes, you know, there were many of them that I wish I'd have made differently. I remember asking him in that, because I was sensing guilt. I, I said, 
Can I ask you, Dad, do you, do you know that Jesus came to take all of your sins and your guilt away? And do you believe in him? And he said, well, yeah. And I had never heard any kind of confession of faith like that before. And I was elated that I heard him say it. As, almost as if to say, why, why, why would you ever wonder that? Well, I wondered it for lots of reasons. The last visit, though, the third time that I got a, to have a real heart-to-heart, I said, Dad, can I give you a devotion that I give people when uh, I go to see them as their pastor and they're, they're sick and they're near death? He said, yeah, you can do that. Laying in the bed. Hardly could get up. And I said, I want to tell you about Jesus. What he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The night before he died on the cross, he said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, but in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And I said, Dad, Jesus is going there to prepare a place for you. And do you know what he meant when he said, I'm the way? And he goes, I think so. And I said, he meant that he was going to the cross to take all your sins away. Do you believe that? And he said, yes, I believe that. And then he said, but I'm not sure if after you come to faith in him, what he does with the sins you commit after you came to faith. I said, he, he died for all of them. He washed them all away. That's your peace. And he latched onto that because he wanted and believed in that peace. He went to heaven just a couple weeks later. You see the difference? We're all going to die. But we're not all going to live in heaven. It's those who look to the man in the middle and say, be my peace. Now, on Good Friday at this church for, I don't know, probably 15 years now, we have had a tradition that we'd all gather together in person. We worship, and at the end of the service, we come up here, and we, we put a nail on the cross as a symbol. And we, we file up individually and put nails on this cross. Okay, But today, you can't be here. I'm here, but you're not. So I'm going to put a nail on the cross for all of us. So I've got to get the nails. This first nail is for my sins because I'm the chief of sinners. So I just put my nails and I have peace about that. This is for all of the men that are watching all of your sins. No matter what guilt you feel, no matter what iniquity, it's right there on the cross. This is for all the women that are watching. This is your guilt and your sins are going on the cross too. And this one is for all the children. Your sins are going up on the cross to there. They're all paid for. They're all gone. You can live out your life in peace. And Jesus says to you, I will be with you always, and you will be with me in paradise. Amen.